video. It's the only way to get what you want to watch when Hello, you want my name's Justin McClure, and I'm here today with... Mark Hansen. And you're listening to the Bay Street Video Podcast, where we go through all of this week's new Blu-rays and DVDs. DVDs. And what a list do we have you for you today! And usually when I say that, I mean it sarcastically. <laughs> you know, I tried to pat it out here a little bit, you know? Yeah, we... you're like, Justin, Justin, I have an updated list. There's like one more title I added. <laughs> I know, I gotta pat it out. We gotta get some stuff So in if there. we start right in the cult section, we got Rituals, and this feels like a big deal when it came out like 10 years ago on blu-ray and dvd i remember it was like it's delayed it came out it went out of print like instantly and then you would see the dvd and blu-ray it's like 90 dollars. there's not that many copies of rituals around Yeah, we never actually even got the blu-ray in here like when it first came out we only got the dvd from code red because i think the blu-ray he was only selling directly from his site or something at that time which uh, a lot of people were really annoyed at here because obviously this is like a classic piece of uh CanCon right here. Classic tax shelter stuff. Oh, yeah, man. Directed by the guy who made High Point, the Richard Harris, <laughs> yeah, Christopher exactly. Plummer, CN Tower <laughs> like movie. That's the reference there. Uh, but yeah, um, so, you know, the DVD went out of print instantaneously. We've had a rental of it forever. But I'd always see it in the glass boxes at like BMV and other used uh, Blu-ray DVD places. Customers of ours have been asking us, when is Rituals coming out on Blu-ray forever? And I'm like, well, you can maybe get it from the Code Red website. I think they were selling. Yeah, it, whenever but... the guy decides to put it out, out like angrily until somebody complains and then he takes it down and says he'll never put it out again. Yeah, not enough people are buying it. How dare all you? Yeah, I funded this with my own credit cards. I mean, unfortunately, the guy that uh, runs Code Red, Banana Man himself, I believe he's in the hospital and he said that he'll probably be in the hospital for the rest of his life. Yeah, you did mention that. That is that's sad news. That is sad news. As much as he was definitely difficult to deal with. I mean, you know. How... I mean, now that that happened, all of the films that have been under lock and key have suddenly been started to come out more available. Yeah, there we go. It's still, you know, under the Code Red label, but now through the Kino distribution deal, it's getting a wider release. So I think this one is under Scorpion, isn't it? Because I saw Scorpion on the back of the box. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. So Scorpion, but is it Code Red as well? Is the Code Red logo on there? I, I don't think so. I don't even think there's any Kino branding on any of it either. Yeah, I know Kino. It's just like a distribution deal. So it's technically... It is. It's still like Scorpion stuff and Code Red stuff, but they're just like distributed more widely now by Kino. I mean, I really like Rituals. It's like Deliverance, essentially, but in the Canadian wilderness as a bunch of like men are hunted by an unseen force. And, you know, nice and violent, super stylish. It's famous for being incredibly dark and difficult to make out, which is still the case even on this transfer, but it's better than it'll ever look. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's cheaper than you'll ever get it. It has all the special features, I believe, that were on the Code Red disc. I remember it was such a big deal that like... Like, Rue Morgue put it on the cover yeah. uh, when it was supposed to come out. And then it didn't come out for, like, months after that. Right. Well, I think this has really turned into one of the bigger, more notable, like, tax shelter type exploitation films at this point, right? I feel like maybe when I started working here, you know, a decade plus ago, I didn't really know much about it. But over my time here, it just seems like it's one of these, like, all-time great Canadian films now. So we also have another Code Red title, and it's The Devil's Wedding Night. I have not heard of this one, but I glanced at Letterboxd, and it has a lot of great reviews. Yeah, we sold a few copies, too. As soon as it hit the shelf, because it showed up a bit late, we kind of put it out there on social media. We got people, like, calling us right away about it, so... Especially considering it's a Joe D'Amato joint. He's the co-director, as as well as um, Luigi Bazzella, who is most famous for directing The Beast in Heat, the one about, like, the um, caveman who rapes women in a Nazi prison camp. Yes, Severin put that one out a couple of years back. Back, right? <laughs> yeah. I believe 
I, it must have come up on this. But yeah, this one is kind of like a gothic horror one. There's also a Castle Dracula and an Egyptian amulet. Ah, you know, whatever you want. And Satan's there too? <laughs> well, there's Lady Dracula apparently uses Dracula's amulet to lure beautiful girls to the castle where she murders them. La-dee-da. Well, that's my kind of thing. Yeah. Like you mentioned, this is another Kino thing. I believe it was put out by uh, Katerina uh, Code Red. They did that like kind of um, wraparound Yeah, thing. we used to get so many of those DVDs back in the day. That was a pretty successful line. Yeah, and then they like just stopped selling at all. We, we opened a few for rental. Nobody touched them. But I feel like for a while there, that was a popular we line. We also have, from Kino again, Buried Alive, the directorial debut feature length of everyone's favorite, Frank Darabond. And he makes a 90s erotic kind of horror tinge thing starring everyone's favorite, Tim Matheson. And of course, Jennifer Jason Lee. Wait, did you watch this one? I did not. I'm definitely intrigued because I, I like I remember finding it a little bit. It's boring. a TV movie, right? That is my memory of it. But it was popular enough that there was a Buried Alive 2 that also starred Tim Matheson. Mat- 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 Buried Alive again. Really like uh, Frank Darabont's other attempt at uh, feature length horror with The Mist. Big fan of that one. So I definitely want to check this out. But And Kino's put together a really nice package for this. They've like put a slipcover on this one. The artwork's really Really nice on it. Hey, Frank Darabont also wrote his pal Chuck Russell's The Blob and Dream Warriors, Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. Right, of course. How could I so forget? So if he hadn't made Shawshank Redemption, maybe he would have had a more cult career instead of being like hoity-toity with his majestics. You no, know, right? It's weird. It's soon, like, as soon as he did the Shawshank Redemption, his career went in a totally different direction. But like, when, when you make a Shawshank Redemption, you're like, wow, I made this big, great movie. Now I'm just going to make trash. That's just the way that I think, I guess. But then he decides to make like... Like, basically the Shawshank Redemption 2 in the Green Mile, which was so boring. And then, yeah, the Majestic. So we also have, hey, it's our good friends, Media Blasters. And they're going through their catalog. Uh, They've released Roberta Finley's Blood Sisters. You're a Roberta Finley head over there, right? Oh, yeah. I love Roberta Finley. She's so great. And I believe this is a new remaster of the negative elements that they have. I remember Media Blasters, like, posted a photo of that. And it just has the same extras that were on the DVD from like 15, 20 years ago. (laughs) Alrighty Uh, then. (laughs) Joe Bob Briggs commentary and a little interview featurette with Roberta and one of the stars of the film. Roberta goes, listen, I made this movie because... The tax man was coming. I need to make one more picture to kind of dodge around that. Uh, it's always about the tax man, eh? <laughs> but I'm really excited that, I mean, Media Blasters has been hinting that the uh, unreleased Roberta Finley film Band is going to come out from them soon, Ooh. which would be one of the first new movies they release in a long, yeah, long, long, like long time. Yeah, a new announcement for Media Blasters? That's crazy. <laughs> uh, we also have for Media Blasters Devil Man, the live action adaptation of the infamous, well, I guess famous uh, manga and anime, and nobody likes this movie. No. <laughs> yeah, I was getting that sense when I was ordering it. Uh, it didn't seem like a lot of people had good things to say about this one. Um, but it seems like it fits right in that Media Blasters wheelhouse, you know? Yeah, which is like mid-2000, kind of like failed Japanese live-action <laughs> yeah. film. <laughs> yeah, that is a huge thing for them. And we also have Splatter Farm from my boys, the Polonia Brothers. Yeah, your best friends. <laughs> now, this is an old two-disc special edition. Yeah, so is this is 
actually came out a couple years ago, I believe, from a label called, I don't know if you know much about this label, Camp Motion Pictures. I don't know if that's just their... Oh, yeah, I know Campy. Old yeah, Camp, Camp Camp Motion Pictures. I don't know if that's just their, like, homegrown label or something, or I don't know. No, it's a different label, because I have a bunch of stuff released by them. Uh, they had a booth one year at Fan Expo, the big comic book convention, back when there used to be a horror section. I remember buying a whole bunch of stuff from them. Like, they had, like, Joe Sarno stuff, and they had kind of, like, sub-labels as well. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah, so I don't know. This is a, uh, a two-disc DVD set. Not No Blu-ray here. Sorry, guys. But uh, we got two-disc DVD with Splatter Farm and another film of theirs on yes, it. Yes, I have this disc set. Yeah, the other film is the last one the two brothers worked on, and it's a, a Cloverfield take. Oh, right. Uh, but the mo- the monster stop motion, and it has the most annoying filter, like a Super 8 filter that you find in, like Windows Movie Maker that runs throughout the entire film. And I say it's annoying because there's a sound that runs for like 90 uh, minutes. That's <laughs> but so I would brutal. highly recommend it anyway. Now, I am a huge fan of Splatter Farm, but I would recommend this one with caveats because this is the recut that they did when the first DVD came uh, out. Okay. And essentially, like the first Splatter Farm, uh, the VHS version, is very uh, slipshod. It was edited from like VHS to VHS. So there's like pauses when there's a cut because the sound is like transferring and like stuff isn't that tight. Also, they cut out some scenes because there was male nudity that was underage at the time of its uh, filming. Oh, yikes. <laughs> was released, I think they did a limited edition of this disc set, and there was a VHS tape that came with it, and that version was on that VHS tape, but not on this one. And I'm, I feel like this is probably pretty cheap, right? Like around the 20-ish dollar range? Yeah, it's 20 bucks. Um, and yeah, I mean, the reason we are kind of getting it now is we, yeah, one of our suppliers just, I guess, got the rights to be able to sell it. So they're kind of putting it up as a new release, even though I guess it's technically been available for a couple years. But, you know, we've gotten so much other Polonia Brothers stuff in. I feel like we're always talking about the Polonia Brothers with these SRS releases. They figured, oh, yeah, you are. How can we not have their original masterpiece here, though? So. Like, the only other way to watch the original version would be on YouTube. So just buy this DVD and then go check it out on YouTube because I think it's up there or yeah i believe i saw that somewhere i mean i have a copy that i got ages ago like burned on a cd somewhere and that's the one that i show when people want to check it out all right moving on to classic stuff from splatter farm to you know the next thing that starts with s uh, and that is Satan Tango. Okay, how do you say this? Is it Satan Tango? Satango? Satango? So Satan's Tango, right? Isn't that what the title's supposed to be in English? So I've always just known it as Satan Tango. I mean, I don't speak Hungarian, so uh, we could we could both be very, very wrong on this. Mark, I'm disgusted you did not get the limited edition that, let me check my notes, only has a slipcase and a bookmark in it. And a postcard, I think. It does. <laughs> All right, I don't need it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is a huge release, though. This is huge. from the... Huge! release. Uh, so, you know, if you know anything about Satan Tango, you know it has been very out of print for a lot well, of... It was infamously put out by Facets, It was, right? yeah. It was put out in, like, a four-disc DVD set by Facets back in it, the day. And it also looked like shit. It did, Like, they, yeah. they, like, screwed up the transfer. Yeah, Facets was a great company for putting out, like, obscure foreign stuff, but they were not a good company for the quality of their transfers. They always kind of looked like crap. Um, unfortunately, you know, they don't exist anymore, so all of their stuff is kind of, like, out of print or up for grabs. Yeah, 
because they were a video store. Were they? Okay, I didn't actually realize yes, that. You didn't know that? That's where they started. They started as a video store. Where's the Bay Street video label, Mark? <laughs> yeah, I know. Hey, we're working on it. I'm working on it right now. I can only imagine the rights for this would have been in high demand over the last... I wonder what kept it from being released, because you would think like a company like Criterion or even Kino or I'm trying to think like film movement. Yeah, I always thought Criterion would take this one because they've snapped up a lot of the old facets catalog. Is there like a weird thing about Bellatar's uh, library that is keeping people from releasing it because nothing has come out not wreck mr harmonies you're right all of his earlier stuff was put out by facets back in the day everything up until i would say i think the man from london that that one wasn't it's all gone out of print and this is the first one to finally get some sort of re-release so i don't know if arbalos the company putting this one out is going to be working on more bellatar movies in the future yeah they are because they did a restoration of damnation that's currently available online that's awesome well that's great for them because if you don't know much about arbalos they are a new company they started a couple years ago by releasing i think they're like five years old aren't no, they they're actually only like two or three years old. because i thought they had done um what was that animated film you're talking about belladonna of sadness right yeah, yeah belladonna was... sadness i guess i'm getting the company that confused. was sinalicious actually that's a different uh different label looks the same though because they both use clear cases so that's probably why right you're... that's probably why i was kidding and so does film movement uh, they do yeah but with arbalos they started off uh, a couple years ago with dennis hopper's the last movie that was their inaugural right. release are they a sub label of a, like another company no, as far as i know they're just their own thing i mean maybe they get distribution through somewhere but even no i don't even think they're distributed like from Kino. like we get their stuff in canada through unobstructed view but i don't mm-hmm. think they're like together with Kino or anything they're just like an o- their own independent label so in the few years they've been around they've gotten some huge gets like obviously the last movie was unavailable for years and they finally put that out now they've uh and then since then they've put out a few random things they put out the bjork film the juniper tree they put mutual out, appreciation yeah they did an andrew bajowski film so they've done some like strange stuff but no then, they did do bella dialed enough sadness i'm looking right here on their website oh weird because then well then they changed their names because that's put it they label that one as sinalicious so yeah because they also did gangs of west i'm yeah Poor. no no i know those ones okay so i didn't realize that was the same company because they were called something else up until recently i'm still waiting for them to put out son of the white man uh, on Blu-ray as well. They're animated yeah, film. Yeah, I don't know. That's interesting because, yeah, I don't know because there haven't been any new Sinalicious releases for a while now and I know one of their releases, they put out a couple of Agnes Varda films which are now on that Criterion Agnes Varda set. So I just thought they didn't exist anymore but maybe Arbalos, yeah, maybe they just changed their name to Arbalos and kind of went after some different stuff. Right, yeah, because they made Giuseppe Makes a Movie. That's why I was like, they've been around for a long time because that's like, two, I've seen, like 2013 was Gangs of West Ham poor 2014 Giuseppe. Yeah, no, I remember all those. Re- we have all those releases. So yeah, I just wasn't aware they were, you know, affiliated with each other. But um, there you go. You learn something new every day. And so St. Tango, you watched it twice since you've gotten of it on course, Blu-ray, right? Of course, of course. Yeah, <laughs> okay, for people that don't know, this film is like seven hours long? Seven and a half hours long, something like that. Yeah, so this is, I mean... If you know Bellatar, obviously Bellatar is one of these guys. If you know him, you love him. And if, you know, you don't know him. I mean, not necessarily. (laughs) Proceed with caution. (laughs) I mean, I love Bellatar. He is obviously one of the biggest Hungarian directors. And his movies are very, very great, very hypnotic. But they are slow as molasses. He is definitely like a pioneer of slow cinema, I guess is what they call it. And this one is, and not all of his movies are seven and a half hours long. But this one is, and this is probably... 
probably his most well-known movie. I mean, it's been lauded as one of the best films of all time by several different publications. It's one of those things, though, as well, which is like, when it's that long, it's kind of like out one Jacques Rivette's film. Like, it's broken up into episodes. It ain't a movie anymore, is it? It's a series. Yeah, but I mean, it was never, it was always screened theatrically, was it not? Like, it was always screened in Oh, like... you know what? Someone will tell me like, oh, it played at TIFF and it played all in one go or something like, because I believe it did play all in one go. I feel like it must have played all in one go. Like, obviously there's intermission breaks through it, but they must have screened it all in one go several times. But, you know, I guess we're in that fine line. What is cinema and what is TV, you know? <laughs> but like, I would say this is more cinema than TV. I mean, Bellatard never really worked in TV. And this is this is a really cinematic endeavor. Don't you remember his pilot about that lovable horse, the Turin horse? <laughs> yeah, the Tur- I'm a big fan of the Turin horse. I remember seeing that at TIFF with a with a crowd, like a packed crowd of people, probably half of which didn't know what they were getting themselves into. There were definitely a lot of walkouts during that. <laughs> you want to see a man slowly eat a potato? Eat a potato? Ooh, see that? That kind of stuff really like speaks to me, but I, I get that that's not for everyone. Uh, but Satan Tango, you know, before you think that Satan Tango is like seven and a half hours of, you know, a man eating a potato, it's not. It's actually like... Or a young girl uh, drowning a cat. <laughs> or that, yeah. But you Well, know I mean, it is that. It is that, but there's a lot going on in this movie. It's actually got a lot of character it's got a lot of humor in it there's a lot of things going yeah there's a lot of slow tracking shots of people walking and animals yeah, well, i mean that's what bellatar at the end of the day is all about right that slow tracking shot as it plays beautiful out. right like, and you watch those cows kind of wander through the muddy the opening sequence alone is just beautiful i mean it's just like immediately hypnotic I mean, this movie looks better than it's, you know, ever looked before, too. Like, they really, Arbolos really did a good job with this restoration. It looks so crisp, so great, especially coming after that Facets DVD. So this is kind of like, if you're, like, a cinema fan in any, if you're just, like, you know, a cinephile in any shape or form, this is kind of like a must-have release on your shelf, I would say. So what are you going to do with that Facets DVD? Because you guys have it, right? I think I rented it from you many years ago. Well, that DVD we actually haven't had for the last several years because a customer cracked it in half. (laughs) He's like, what is this shit? (laughs) No, a customer brought it. So yeah, it would have been out of print for years, but we still had our DVD rental. It was always, you know, rent. it was always being rented. And then somebody brought it back once saying it didn't play. And we took the disc out, and one of the discs, he had just, like, I guess when he was trying to take it out of the case, he cracked it right in half. So we actually haven't had a rental copy of Satan Tango for the last couple of years. We've just been waiting for it to come out again. Mm. Uh, and now but it's here out. it is. But it's only on Blu-ray, so sorry if you don't have a Blu-ray player yet. <laughs> it's time to buy a Blu-ray. If you're listening to this, please buy a Blu-ray yeah, player. They're not making DVDs anymore. They're like $50. I know. It's really not. It's worth it, especially for a movie like Satan Tango. Like, just buy your Blu-ray player. It's going like, to look beautiful. Like, the DVD, I mean, how long did the VHS exist? Le- well, until, like, it- 2005, I think, was the last one they they produced. So, yeah, like, the 80s to 2005. Yeah, like- so, like, it's time to switch out. Because the DVD has had a shelf life of 20 years up to this point, if not more. We're on to 4K now. Like, you got to have a Blu-ray player at least. Play DVDs, too. Like, it's not, like, that big of a format change. But they do. It's fine. You don't... <laughs> I know. You don't have to... So many people are concerned they're going to have to get rid of their entire DVD collection. You won't have to. Uh, I bet to those people have, like, 4K TVs, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyways, pick up Satan Tango. It's great. Uh, it also comes with a little booklet, uh, which is which is an essay about how to watch Satan Tango. But you're right. You know, it is broken up into chapters. So it's like the perfect kind of thing to like watch piecemeal, even if like 
I get it. You, nobody has the time to sit down and watch seven and a half I hour mean, movies. You're just gonna fall asleep. <laughs> you're just you're probably just gonna fall asleep unless you got like a pot of coffee next to you. But you know, watch it in like forty five minute chunks or something like that. It's great. Forty five minutes, like it's a TV show of some kind. <laughs> and please, Arbelos, put out more Bellatar. I'm looking forward I to mean, it. I mean, it just needs to go up on Netflix, and everybody's binging Satan Tank. I know, right? That's the thing. <laughs> They talk about all these binge-worthy shows, you know? Come on, Satan Tango should be right. Uh, time there. to dance with the devil. All right, so moving on, we have Bamako. I'm not familiar with this one, this 2006 film, about a bar singer and her husband, Chaka, who's out of work, and they're on the verge of breaking up. Then a trial court has been set up. African Civil Society spokesman has taken proceedings against the World Bank and the IMF, who they blame for Africa's woes. Yeah, so this is kind of like a fantastical drama. It's from, uh, uh, I'm going to mangle this name, but from Abderrahman Sasako, who is a um, Mauritanian director. He's directed a lot of big film. More recently, he's probably well known for Timbuktu, which was nominated for a bunch of Oscars maybe five or so years ago. But he's directed films like uh, Waiting for Happiness, uh, a bunch of other like anthology films he was a part of. Uh, this one is, yeah, a strange film he made. Yeah, it's about 15 years old now. And it never really, I think it got a brief DVD release, but it was out of print, print really quick. So Icarus is put it out again and yeah this one might be most notable to american audiences because it was produced by and has a small supporting role from danny glover as a cowboy <laughs> danny glover yeah danny glover's in this film so yeah he produced it and he's in it as there's apparently like kind of like a western sequence or something that he is part of so i'm really intrigued by this film i've always wanted to see it, it got great reviews it was kind of like a festival darling at can and everything back then um, you haven't watched it till now you're never gonna watch it mark I I know, I know. I Who know. Am you. I kidding? No, <laughs> yeah. I, I will get around to this. I will watch this. But yeah, if you're a fan, if you're a fan of African cinema at all, like this is kind of like he's a big deal, and uh, this is like a this is a really good film that has just not really been available. I think it was released briefly by I can't even remember like Fox Lorber, one of those companies that's like out of like doesn't exist anymore. So it was like barely available. Man, I wish I knew some more fans of African cinema. Let me know what to watch. Please. I know, I know. Me too, because I am like. Really really not well versed in it at all i need a so. nigerian film expert give, give me some of that nollywood knowledge seriously yeah, please hit us up with it all right so moving on we have uh, uh we're back in classic hollywood thanks paramount where no angels oh my favorite sean penn and robert de niro <laughs> wait a minute <laughs> i wish no this is the original one yeah with humphrey bogart peter ustinov and aldo ray yeah and this was actually due out back in november at the end of november this was supposed to be released and we just we're getting it now which is kind of a shame because it is a Christmas movie, right? So, unfortunately, we did not have this in time for Christmas, even though we were expecting to, but uh, it is finally here. So, you know, this has always been a huge seller. You know, Michael Curtiz, he can... He brings them in. Wrong, I guess. I don't know. He <laughs> brings in the crowds, right? Uh, but, yeah, it's finally on Blu-ray. It is just a bare-bones Blu-ray. You know who else? Yeah. That's surprised they didn't try to do, like, a Paramount Presents. You would think it'd be a big title. Yeah, you'd think they, this would have fit the bill, but no, this is just like a cheap, you know, <laughs> bare-bones Blu-ray. So we also have Pat and Mike, another Spencer Tracy Catherine Hepburn comedy, this one directed by George Cooker. Yeah, and this was also, just like We're No Angels, this was due out a couple months ago, actually, and is only arriving on our shelves right now for some reason. I don't know if there was some production delay with Warner Archive, but uh, for all you guys who have been waiting with bated breath for Pat and Mike on Blu-ray, um, <laughs> we, we have it. Uh, not to so. be confused with Mike and Buck, the um, <laughs> Christopher 
Christopher White's uh, Mike White film? Chuck and Buck, you mean, yeah. <laughs> but it is like Mike and Buck, basically. <laughs> you do not know that. You have not seen Fat and Mike. <laughs> no, I have not. Oh, I have an update. You know that Tex Avery cartoon thing, Volume 2? Uh, Warner Brothers said that they're not doing any more cartoons until the... Um, All right, well, fine. Uh, the uh, pandemic is done. Because they did have to, like, outsource the stuff. Supposedly, like, India did it, which is why it has all that DNR on some of the cartoons. So they're like, yeah, we screwed up. We just kind of, like, put it out because, you know, they wanted to, like, ride the wave of the first one, I guess. And people are like, why don't you just wait? And it's like, well, the pandemic's never going to end. So, (laughs) So, yeah, what's the point? Um, Well, that's a shame because their cartoon stuff sells very well. I mean, I guess it doesn't really matter if, uh, you know, I guess you sold like a lot of copies of that vault, too. Oh, we do. Yeah, yeah. We're still selling them. So moving on, we have a Kino, a lone little Kino in this classic section. A lone little Kino. And what a classic it is. And it is Thursday. Yes, it's everyone's favorite team up of Thomas Jane and Aaron Eckhart. Guys, I look way too similar to each other. Very confusing. It... uh, uh, yeah, it's another Tarantino ripoff real late in the game, 1998. And it is this week's Blind Buy? Blind Buy! <laughs> now, <laughs> this is directed by Skip Woods, infamously the writer of Wolverine Origins. Both Hitman movies, Hitman 47 movies uh, in Hollywood and a whole bunch well, of crap. Well, most importantly, he wrote Swordfish. I can't believe you wrote, you left that one out. Yes. <laughs> um, but this was his first project, both as writer, either as writer or director. It's the only thing he ever directed, um, but it was his first project as a writer. And oh my God, yeah, I feel like I'm having deja vu on this podcast because I feel like I've never watched as many Tarantino ripoffs from the late 90s as I have as when we've been doing this podcast. So I'm going to but- say, that I was with this movie. It's like a French farce almost with Thomas Jane. A bunch of criminals keep coming to his apart, uh, his house and he's trying to have a meeting to adopt and he's having trouble I with know. his wife. And oh, it's so comedic. Can he hide the gun? Can he do this? Until there's a flashback and you're like, uh-oh, now we're yeah. in full Tarantino land and it's oh, just downhill God. from there. Yeah, so basically Thomas Jane is like a former criminal who is now reformed and he's, you know, living the suburban life life with his new wife and he's trying to go straight and you know he's an architect now or something and yeah he's trying to adopt a kid with his wife and then all of a sudden his old criminal buddy Aaron Eckhart shows up at his door at 7:30 in the morning to drop off some bags and you know use his car and then throughout the day a procession of different criminals keep showing up at his house be- to do with you know Aaron Eckhart's scheme that he's got going on I thought this movie was f- terrible, man. <laughs> I thought this movie was so obnoxious. From I know you said you were with it for a while. I was just I thought this was pretty obnoxious from beginning to end. Uh, honestly, love it. Starts off in a convenience store, which seems seemingly every film oh, of this era God. needs to start. It's like from dusk till dawn, though. You know, it's like he's just no, it's, ripping um, off. What, oh, what is it? The Doom Generation? Oh yeah, it's like well, you know, the Doom Generation, like. You know, Greg Araki, that's that's different style to me than Tarantino, you know? <laughs> that's got at least that's got like different kind of characters going on. At least it's a little more, you know, representative. This is just like the, the, the opening scene of this just was like, oh, he's just doing like From Dust Till Dawn or something. And then, you know, Wait, the movie goes on. but this came out on. before De- From Dust Till Dawn, didn't no, it? No, no, From Dust Till Dawn was like 96. Right, but this was 97, so they were probably shooting it at the time they were From Dust Till shoot- Dawn was. Oh, no, this came out in 98, so they were probably shooting oh, it in 97. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's more, way more fun in From Dust Till Dawn, though, than it is in well, this. Well, the problem is with that opening scene, it really doesn't mean anything at the end of the day, you know? You've got, like, three characters who aren't even the main characters, and they're all just, like, people who end up showing up at his place. But, like, 
what is the point of the opening scene other than just to just like to show that they're bad dudes have some laughs or something to have like this quippy sort of like you know convenience store hold up scene basically you know but yeah this movie uh, i don't know like first of all I just didn't buy a second of it from like the way Thomas Jane's character behaved to the way anybody really behaved in it. I just didn't really buy at all that Thomas Jane was like, you know, they go to this flashback and he's like, what, some badass criminal guy who's like. But he shows no indication of that throughout the movie. But then, yeah, now he's like this reformed architect guy. Well, that's why I said I'm up with it until the flashback where suddenly you see that like. He's like this badass, like just everyone spa- uh, spouting racial epitaphs, which up until then the movie did not do. Yeah, exactly. It took it took like I, I looked at the timer, fifty one minutes, and from there I guess they ran out of money because Thomas Jane is just tied to a chair for the rest oh, of the movie. Man, and yeah, speaking of the racial epithets, it, it's really interesting to me how Quentin Tarantino basically gave white directors like carte blanche to use the N word after Pulp Fiction came out you know <laughs> well i don't know if he gave them permission like <laughs> well like but that's like the only like we watch you know i watched keys to tulsa or part of keys to tulsa a couple weeks ago and that was the same thing and like there's so many of these movies these care which is all white characters in movies written and directed by white guys that have these characters just dropping the n-bomb like nobody's business all over the place and it's like Wow, this, I mean, yeah, it was a different time, the 90s, but Jesus, this does not age well at all. Oh, don't you mean that the sexual assault in this movie uh, ages well, though, Mark? Well, yeah, I haven't even, yeah, we haven't even gotten to that point yet. You know, the part where Thomas Jane is raped by, you know, a Paulina Porzkova's character who was, you know, an an actress who was in some things in the 90s. No, I don't know if we really remember her now, but yeah, she rapes Thomas Jane in a scene that is very... um, tone deaf to put it mildly um and then you know there's homophobia and there's all that kind of stuff too mostly what got under my skin was yeah like the rape scene and then the just the racial epithets are like just thrown around like crazy in it with no sense of wit or anything i mean again like it's always going to be touchy when you're like a white guy throwing that around. And it's always been like that for Tarantino. And I I think with Tarantino, I I don't think it's necessarily right that he uses it either. I really don't, but I can see like, he's trying to put it in a context where, you know, people use it because they're in like a criminal underworld where everybody uses stuff like that or whatever here. Like, yeah, okay. They're in a criminal underworld, but the way the, the racial epithets are used are just for like really cheap easy jokes that aren't even funny though and don't really have anything to do with the story i agree but i like the part where thomas jane's trying to get the gun out of the sight of the person in his house and he can't get that drawer closed and then he puts it in the fridge uh some french farce laughs well see moments like that just like made me cringe so hard like this is supposed to be funny like I yeah it's m- funny french farce man Every, i don't know maybe i'm just not into french farce i guess because i just like <laughs> no slamming doors people going in and out of rooms i know thomas jane was just like running around with like a chicken with his head cut off the entire movie i mean i guess it kind of reminded me of the big hit a little bit you know there was oh, like i a, hate the big hit oh uh, see see the big hit is a movie that i i like i mean i haven't seen it in a while but i mean when so i was a boring. kid i love the big hit as a kid so maybe i'm just like 
blowing smoke out my ass by saying this is bad and the big hit's good but like <laughs> oh no this is bad this is real bad uh would not recommend bad. it i don't know at least the big hit was like funny and entertaining to me this was just it like has, no, the big hit is not funny and or yeah this is not funny or entertaining or anything <laughs> and the really. big hit it's is just... directed by my man kirk wan from hong kong yeah right you know that yeah that was good no no bad, bad i think it's good i think it's good unless you get the super bit edition because you need it in that high bit rate oh i did have that super bit edition i did have that uh but yeah this movie i can't think of a film that like ran out of money more than this film like i know right <laughs> there's no climax it just kind of ends there's like a flash frame and it's over yeah it does kind of end right like at the end of it you know it pretty much kind of They're like listen mickey rook showed up we only have him for like five hours <laughs> i know it kind of is tied up exactly how you'd expect it to be tied up but then you're right it just like there's a final scene and then it's just like it's over before you even know it. And it's like, I mean, the movie is only like 80 some odd minutes as it is. And it's like, geez, it feels like a struggle even to get to that. And I'm glad that uh, Thomas Jane doesn't pay for all the horrible stuff that he did. He still gets to be an architect. Yeah, I know. And, that's and he the... gets some millions of dollars and he gets to run off. Well, that's the thing. Like Thomas Jane is like supposed to be the hero of this movie because he's reformed himself or whatever. But at the end of the day, he did some horrible stuff. So like, yep. I don't know. I don't feel good about him getting away with this at all. No. And, you know, he was dropping the N-bomb as much as anybody else in these, like, flashbacks and everything. So, like, it's not like he was some, like, reluctant or, like, it's not like he was some guy who lived by this code and, you know, only killed people that deserved it. Like, I don't, he was just, like, an asshole, like, Aaron Eckhart's character than anybody Listen, else. So, everyone I mean, was an asshole in the 90s, Mark. That's just an the asshole in this movie. I know, so. Well, we didn't even mention that our man, uh, Gun Crazy himself. Oh, James LeGros. James LeGros shows up. You can't have a 90s movie without James LeGros doing a crazy act accent yeah i don't know i mean i was kind of embarrassed to see him i, I keep forgetting he's even in this because he's only in like one scene but yeah he's in it oh i mean and then you've got glenn Plummer in there playing like the worst stereotype of like a jamaican like rastafarian gangster dude like oh man the stereotypes are just brutal in this movie just brutal so well, now it's out on blu-ray would not recommend uh, would not recommend at all apparently yeah, i was looking this up after apparently roger ebert went on a tirade against this movie when it uh when it first came out or when it first it played at the toronto international film festival when it first came <laughs> out and apparently he went on some tirade about this movie and very bad things in particular because they both played at tiff that same oh, year very bad things is good but i love very bad things i know but he went on a tirade because they're both like horribly offensive not funny like just a like basically a sign of how like movies like the end time of movies so <laughs> there you go roger ebert hated it so you know maybe that'll maybe that'll entice you to buy it yeah, yeah. but that would be one thing if like thursday was a huge hit that everybody loves and remembers that's not the case. Nobody talks about this movie. No, at least, you know, Very Bad Things has, like, a cult appreciation now. This one, yeah, like, Jesus. Good. Like, I watched this, and, like, this has, this has just not aged well at all. I mean, at least the stereotypes in Very Bad Things are in use of, like, a larger point about, like, how terrible, like, white men are. Like, this movie is just, like, a funny crime caper with, like, you know, a ton of that. Very uncomfortable and tonally all over the place. Yeah, very uncomfortable. and But, yeah. My I, God, like, that rape scene goes on for so long, oh, too. It's so bad. And it's supposed to be played for laughs, and it's like, this is not funny at all. 
but you know <laughs> but you know mark would recommend I, you know i could see people like having nostalgia for this or something yeah for like 90s tarantino ish yeah right like if you're into that i could see maybe if you saw it at that time and you're already thomas jane completed yeah exactly it's, aaron eckhart completed <laughs> james legro completed you know i look at this cast and i like like a lot of the people in this cast like i'm a fan of this cast like Going, I was actually really excited to watch this because I liked the cast. I thought the idea could be funny. I don't know. What was worse, this or Keys to Tulsa? I mean, I made it through all of this and I turned off Keys to Tulsa. So I guess... Yeah, but you had to watch this for the plot. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I would say I was more engaged by this than I was by Keys to Tulsa. This one, I, I won't say I was bored by this one. Like, I definitely hated this and thought it was cringe, but I, it definitely didn't bore me because I honestly didn't know... I didn't know what was going to happen from moment to moment, but Keys to Tulsa was just boring. And after 20 minutes, it's like, wow, I'm just going to watch a bunch Keys of actors. Keys to Tulsa has the better cast, doesn't it, though? It doesn't have, like, the Stoltzster, Rob Lowe. Uh, no Rob Lowe, but it's got, yeah, Eric Stoltz. But the thing with Keys to Tulsa, it's like, at a certain point, you're like, oh, I'm just going to watch a bunch of actors sit around a room and talk with bad Southern <laughs> oh, accents. Ugh. So at least there was more going. <laughs> at least, you know, this is like episodic you know it keeps changing it up so at least that'll keep you engaged keys to tulsa is just boring all right so, so we're moving on to new stuff new, 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 new. so yeah let's uh blaze through some new titles we got some oscar kind of stuff i guess coming up you know because they're gonna have an oscar ceremony this year i guess right <laughs> uh, are they i think so yeah there's you know they're qualifying stuff up until the end of february so here we go so first up we've got ammonite which is you know the movie everybody's talking about with kate winslet and that everybody's talking about it everybody's talking about this not right? even this heard is, of this title really this is like a big potential oscar front runner this year oh, um, and it's about you i'm know, looking here period piece. i know it's two two ladies in love in like 1800s england uh, oh so it's some um, um what is it uh fire exploitation yeah, it's portrait of a lady on fire kind of stuff <laughs> oh yeah portrait of a lady on fire exploitation. i mean it's directed by francis lee who made god's own country which was a big hit a few years back um i don't know people say this is good but I feel like why does every movie about lesbians have to be like a sad period piece about like directed by a dude too and it's directed by a guy so I don't know I mean I hear you know I feel like it's gonna pick up some Oscars because Kate Winslet's in it but there you I, go. I haven't heard of it at all so I, I oh, who yeah. knows no, this is definitely one of the bigger um, kind of like Oscar front runners I guess this year so yeah look out for that um, next up we've got Radioactive which is the Mary Curie Mary Curie biopic uh, that stars Rosamund Pike. I mean, this one kind of came and went, right? People this one kind of came and went. Yeah, I think it played at TIFF a couple years ago. Yeah, it did ago, play at TIFF because then... it's from the person who did uh, Persopolis. Yeah, it is. It's the director, one of the directors of that, Marianne Satrapi, who also made The Voices uh, a few years back. Um, oh, yeah. That was that crazy VR movie, yeah, right? Yeah, the one with Ryan Reynolds, right? Um, oh, no, no, no. I'm not thinking of that. I'm thinking of something else. Uh, the voice oh, is the yeah, one no, where the... Ryan Reynolds is a killer and like his dog yeah. talks to him. So yeah, that's finally coming out. Uh, so y'all, you Mary Curie heads out there, <laughs> come on. Man, down. it took forever to come out. It played a TIFF two summer. Yeah, yeah, 2019. I guess it just. I mean, I heard kind of mixed things about it at TIFF. So I think the reception just wasn't as good as they thought it was going to be. So they kind of held off. Um, so next up, we've got Jungle Land, which is with Charlie Hunnam and Jack O'Connell, I believe. It's a <laughs> Charlie who? 
just a blank space on my screen. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. This is a boxing drama about two brothers who are on some cross-country boxing Yeah, two trip. brothers that are know. warriors, and they have to fight right, it, it out. It does kind of just look like Warrior, so, you know, just watch Warrior, I guess. That was a good movie. There is a great movie. I think it may be called Jungle Land, or I mean, Jungle Something. Well, this is called Jungle Land. <laughs> uh, that stars Roddy Roddy Piper, and it takes place in Toronto, and he, oh. he's like chased by like um like a gang okay uh, and he has to like make it to another or it's like jungle zone something jungle ish <laughs> and uh, when i saw the title i was like oh that makes me think of that yeah oh jungle ground uh, it's okay, called it's okay. from 1995 <laughs> well this is unfortunately not that so <laughs> this is jungle land so great cancon yeah jungle land yeah one of the many prints that was supposedly thrown out when E1 junked all their prints. E1, terrible company, terrible. Oh, no, don't say that. Don't be on know. you. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sorry, E1. E1 I, I is great. Sorry. I will not say anything E1 bad, owns everything in Toronto, they do. Mark. Uh, they do. I'm Canada. sorry. I, I did not mean to offend you, E1. I promise. I promise. I've been inside their offices. They're very nice. They're very <laughs> I'm nice. I'm going to edit you um, being like, E1 is the best in that part. <laughs> yeah, please do. Please do. Uh, next up, we got some documentaries. Uh, we've got Minding the Gap, which is being put out by Criterion, actually, which in one of their new movie deals with Hulu, I think. This is a the skateboarding doc from a few years ago that was really, really well acclaimed. Hasn't been out on disc or anything until now they had some deal with criterion so now it's out in a deluxe special edition and then we've got epicentro which is uh also a, probably a front runner for best documentary prize this year it's a documentary just about cuba and the lives of cubans and it's from hubert soper who made darwin's nightmare which is a really big documentary from about 15 years ago uh, we've also got A Thousand Cuts, which is... <laughs> Wait, what's uh, Darwin's Nightmare? God! <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Darwin's Nightmare was a pretty big... I think it was a Canadian documentary, actually, from 2004. It was a huge hit at TIFF, I believe. It, yeah, it was nominated for Best Documentary. It was about the effect of fish, the fishing the Nile perch in Tanzania's Lake Victoria. I don't know. This was... I never saw is it. Is that really just, Darwin's Nightmare? Yeah, I don't know. As a Darwin expert myself, I, I, I take issue with that. Uh, now we've got A Thousand Cuts from people. PBS, which is yet another documentary about Rodrigo Duterte and his uh, not a good man at all. Um, so this is basically how he basically uses the media to influence things, just, you know, kind of like other, you know, Western leaders. Uh, but yeah, he uses social media to spread dis disinformation, just like every corrupt politician these days, basically. Uh, this is supposed to be really good, though, and also could be a front runner for best documentary. So yeah, basically, if you want to catch up on your documentaries for end of year, uh, next up, we got Lupin the Third, the first. Do you know much about this? Yeah, I've seen this. Lupin the Third is a big uh, TV series. It's existed for like 50 years out of Japan. And this is like a CGI take on the franchise. And it looks like the characters. And people really like this movie. But I saw it. And there's a lot of standing around talking in this. <laughs> like, like, I wish it was a little bit more fun. Like, there's a few set pieces. But it's got a real flow problem that I, I feel like a lot of Japanese CGI films have. But it keeps all the character models. They look like they're cartoon variants. They didn't try to, like, um, you know, rewrite the wheel or anything like that. Rewrite the wheel. Reconstruct the reconstruct wheel. Reconstruct the wheel. Okay. Uh, well, next up, also for also for the kiddies, I guess, we've got uh, The Runaways, which is a not the not the uh, Kristen Stewart movie. from. A... No, this is the uh, based on the Marvel property, right? No, this is a British film, actually, which is actually sounds kind of like Nick Rogue's Walkabout, where a bunch of... 
uh, a trio of children, basically, uh, and their donkeys and their family's donkeys escape across the backbone the donkey of, talk? of northern England, um, confronting both the harsh landscapes and what it means to be siblings. So it's kind of like Does a, the donkey talk, Mark. I, I don't think the donkeys talk. I, I really don't <laughs> think they talk. <laughs> Not interested. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, but yeah, it's kind of like a kids in the wilderness sort of movie. So I don't know. I've heard good things about it, but you know, I, I, I can't believe I'm looking at the next title on on the list that there was a second season of the Twilight Zone. I did not hear a peep yeah, out of it. I don't think people liked the first season that much, right? I felt like it no, kinda... they didn't, and it, I think it was you know banished on CBS All Access. As yeah, well. you're right. I feel like it was really hyped because of Jordan Peele's involvement, and then it came out, and people were like, "This is." And actually very good so but they went ahead and made a second season so it's it's i feel like now. that'll probably be it i would be shocked if there was a third yeah season. that that's probably it um but next up we've got uh it cuts deep which is actually a christmas horror movie that is just arriving on our shelves now a little late <laughs> a little late <laughs> uh but yeah this is about a, a while on christmas vacation a young couple contemplates their future together and uh basically it's like a relationship drama turned horror movies so I, I don't know it's kept very vague the plot so i'm not sure exactly what happens but uh, it's an indie indie horror movie from the states has to do with christmas i don't know i wish they would have released this you know before christmas so people could watch it with the lead up to it but so it goes so it goes nope it will sit on a shelf till next exactly, year. exactly exactly uh next we've got some more horror coming up uh spell which is yeah i don't this kind of just went we're right on i assume this would have gone to theaters if you know theaters were happening but you know this is a basically a hoodoo thriller about a young man in rural Appalachia who basically awakens in the attic of a traditional hoodoo practitioner. Would it have gone to theaters, Mark? I don't know. I don't know. It's released by Paramount. It's like a bigger type movie. Uh, So it stars, and it's actually written by Kurt Wimmer, you know, who the guy who made Equilibrium. Oh, written by Kurt Wimmer? Mr. Equilibrium himself? Yeah, Equilibrium Kurt Wimmer. Uh, He has not written anything good. No, I know. Look at his credit. I know. Children of the Core in the 2020 remake that, what? It came out? No. Wait, you know, he directed it? I think he did, yeah. I right? don't know if it came out. There's only 20 reviews, but it looks like there's a poster and there's art for it. What? Yeah, yeah. Wow. And he also wrote Point Break, the remake, Total Recall. Well, he did write Law Abiding Citizen, which is very yeah, entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> eh, it's all right. Uh, Street Kings? Like, this is a terrible filmography. I've got some love for Street Kings. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. Wait, was Street Kings directed by your man, David Ayer? Oh, yeah. You told the story of seeing Street Kings. Street Kings. Kings. I definitely saw Street Kings in theaters when it came out. And who can forget the classic The Recruit? The Recruit. Yeah, he wrote that, too, didn't he? Yeah, I guess Equilibrium is kind of the only thing people really care about from him. So, I mean. Wow. he, uh, He made Spell. Well, he was a big deal. Until um, Ultraviolet came out, and because he got kicked off that project, that was a terrible, terrible film. Uh, I remember being very excited for Ultraviolet coming out, just because oh, we were all excited for Ultraviolet. I loved Equilibrium so much, like oh, Kurt Wimmer's back. I saw it theatrically day of. I know, right? And then it's like you watch it, and I'm like oh, damn, something something went very, very wrong with this film. <laughs> PlayStation Two cutscene. Yeah, damn. Well, anyways, he's written a new movie about, you know, voodoo, so here no, it is. No, the perfect guy to write about voodoo. Yeah, I'm sure he's very well-versed in voodoo, hoodoo culture, so good for him. Uh, anyways, next up, we've got, hey, more Christmas horror that's coming out in January. More? 
Toys of Terror, which is a new Warner Brothers like premiere film. Uh, do you know much about this one? And just nothing. <laughs> looking at these new movies, I have not heard of any of these. Ooh, I like the cover. It's like a monkey looking over someone's shoulder. Yeah, you know, it looks like it could be fun. It's one of those like Warner Brothers like premiere things. They're kind of like premiering. It's kind of like the Banana. Spl- I've never heard of that. Well, you know, like the Banana Splits movie was one of the. Oh, I like, like the Banana Splits movie. Ooh, and this movie's written by my man Dana Gould. I don't know if you know who Dana Gould okay. is. I do not know Dana Gould. Should I know Dana He has Dana like a really Gould? fun podcast. Oh, he worked on The Simpsons. Okay. Yeah, but he worked on none of the seasons that you uh, like. Okay. Like okay. he got on right after like season 12. He did Stan versus Evil was his show that he ran. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. So he's been around. He's uh, probably most famous as like a super fan. Okay, okay. That like he loves, like he's always on podcasts talking about like Planet of the Apes and stuff like that. Okay. Well, maybe this movie is decent then. I don't know. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. A movie. Why is it coming now? Why? I don't know. I guess it premiered. I see here, twenty seven of October. So yeah. So I think it maybe hit VOD or something in October, but it's just coming to disc now. Like it was actually released this week in January, so it's it's not like a late one or anything. So I don't know. Uh, it's kind of curious they're releasing it this late, but I don't know. Kill- oh, it is a sci fi production. Yeah, Killer Toys. Uh, it seems kind of appealing to me, but. Uh, oh, this was made by the guy who made Boys in the Trees, which was a movie people kind of liked on that Mark Hansen fabled festival circuit. Okay, yeah, the festival circuit. Yeah, it was a Shutter original. Right. Okay, I've heard about this one, right? Well, he, you know, he's back with this toys of terror movie so if you need something to watch Yay! for next christmas you know pick it up now and you know watch it next christmas with your family i guess ah uh, and then next up we've got a movie that i know you're crazy about skyline did you see the original skyline when it came out i have not seen any of these movies actually i am way behind i know be i know it's the first skyline supposed to be terrible but the second one's supposed to be good I will right? ne- neither confirm or deny if the first one is bad <laughs> Because the director and writer of Beyond Skyline and Skylines, Liam O'Donnell, worked on that first one. Ah, okay. But well. uh, Beyond Skyline, super fun sequel, took everybody by surprise. And then there's a follow-up, which does something wild, which is one of the characters, you see like the old version in Beyond Skyline, like the last two minutes of the movie. And that actor stars in this film, which came out many years later. Oh. <laughs> so it's like a direct continuation. Uh, but it's good, right? You, you like this? Oh yeah, super fun. It's just like goofy. It's committed. It takes itself seriously while still winking at the audience. Like it's about a bunch of essentially like mercenaries that have to go to the alien planet to save Earth. And, like, one of the main characters is, like, a human brain in one of the alien bodies, which is a big practical suit. And the person is subtitled the entire way. And he's brothers with the main character. Yeah, it's super fun. Uh, I'm also a big fan of Beyond Skyline. I did a commentary with the director of Beyond Skyline. You can find it on the Important Cinema Club podcast. So, yeah, I'm definitely a fan. All right. Well, that is a ringing endorsement right there. (laughs) Yeah. Mark was very involved with this because the director didn't know if any of the special features he sent (laughs) were going to be on the Blu-ray. And Mark sent me a picture of the Blu-ray box. And it doesn't list any of them. But it turns out that the making of is on there, and so is the deleted scenes, but not the commentary uh, track. Also, the deleted scenes has commentary on them that you can't turn off, so you can't even uh, watch the deleted scenes. Yeah, no, that's a weird one, because, yeah, when I came in, like, usually they list the special features that are on these movies, and the fact that they didn't list anything, I just assumed this was a bare-bones disc. But... I mean, they usually are. Uh, according to the director, he sent them, like, really last minute, but also the person who was in charge screwed up. 
and like didn't list them. They didn't do his commentary. Like they didn't do a lot of stuff that they were supposed to. And I think it's just because they don't care. <laughs> like they're like, eh, who cares? Because I think that Liam, the director of this, he went out of his way to produce those. But like they didn't give him money to do that. Ah, uh, right. Because they don't care. They'll just put out a bare bones disc, you know. Not understanding that if there's special features, it is a collector's market. People will probably be more willing to pick it up if it looks like somebody cared about Come it. Come on, people. Put more special features on your disc. Yeah, I mean, I've been informed that commentary track will be on the iTunes release, which uh, is, huh? Yeah, all right. Yeah, because that's where people want it. But, okay. Rounding out the uh, new release list this week is a brand new 2021 film, American Dream, directed by everybody's favorite Steven Spielberg cinematographer, Yanis Kaminsky. And by that, you mean nobody's favorite uh, Spielberg uh, cinematographer. Yeah, Yanis Kaminsky, you know, every once in a while has decided to direct a film. Uh, the first film he directed was the 2000, uh, like, satanic horror movie Lost Souls with Winona Ryder. I don't know if anybody remembers that. <laughs> and that's supposed to be real terrible, isn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. I definitely saw that when it came out and uh don't remember anything about it so it must have been pretty terrible so <laughs> it's the kind of movie that i know i'd be like i'm curious to go back and like rewatch, thinking it's going to be like a lot of fun but i know it's going to be terrible so anyways he directed a foreign film called hanya since then but hasn't really directed anything else until now and he's decided to show his directorial skills once more with this really generic cliched crime tale with nick stahl playing a russian mobster our friend nick stahl yeah so this movie i initially had suggested this as a potential blind buy when a lot of our new product hadn't come up but then i watched <laughs> like, it let's watch something better thursday <laughs> yeah yeah i watched it and i was like oh this movie's terrible let's pick something else you know that's better on thursday but um yeah this movie is terrible this movie is basically just every immigrant crime movie cliche that you've heard of it consists of two brothers who uh, hail from a russian immigrant family they're trying to get entrepreneurial businesses off the ground but you know nobody will give them loans so they turn to their relative i think he's their cousin or something yuri played by nick stahl who is a russian mobster who runs a bunch of stuff he loans them some money and then obviously things do not go very well and he wants his money back and starts to threaten all of their family members members and he basically just becomes a psycho coming after them and they have to figure out how to deal with this crazy crazy russian mobster on their back yeah this movie is like terrible vod fodder uh basically what you would expect uh from this kind of movie the only yeah noteworthy thing about this probably is that yanis kaminsky directed it um, i wonder how how did he end up directing it like what's going on i have no idea like it's not like he wrote it or anything the screenplay is written by two guys who you know haven't really two producer guys i think Besides Nick Stahl, it also stars uh, Michelle Huisman, who was in The Haunting of Hill House recently, Luke Bracey, who's been around in a lot of stuff. But I mean, it doesn't really have a lot of like big name stars that would, you know, attract him to this project. So I don't know, really, like... Is it because of, like, the immigrant nature of the story? I mean, like, he's not Russian, though, and it has to do with, like, Russian immigrants, and, you know, he's Polish, so I I don't know. You know, I thought maybe it's, like, a personal kind of thing, but, like, I don't know. Unless he just resonates with kind of, like, the immigrant American dream story of the title, I don't really understand why he, you know, decided to come out of the woodwork and finally direct another movie again when it's going to be this. Ugh, I, I can't believe that he's also shooting West Side Story, a movie that no one is going to like, especially that it stars, oh, uh, you know, who? The guy that nobody likes anymore. <laughs> Mr. Baby Driver. Oh, yeah. Right, right. Uh, 
Well, you know, I think Mr. Kaminsky should just stick to what should he stick to? Cinema. I was going to say you should stick to cinematography, but you don't even like him as a cinematographer. So. <laughs> no, please let Steven Spielberg be free. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, if anybody was out there was wondering whether this new uh, Yanis Kaminsky film is any good, I am here to tell you it is not. But you know what? There is one kind of bright spot in it. And that would be Nick Stahl. I would say Nick Stahl is probably the the MVP of this film because you know what? Even though he doesn't do a Russian accent, which I was a little disappointed by because I thought he was going to try and do that. He's actually just like an American, Americanized Russian mobster. Uh, But he goes like full crazy mobster in this. He's like frothing at the mouth. Like he is, he's real crazy in this. So you know what? I will give it maybe like half a star for Nick Stahl's performance, which is probably the most committed I've seen him. You know, well, you know, he was pretty committed in the murder of Nicole Brown Simpson, too, now that I think about it. But oh, he was terrible in that. I know. He really commits to these bad movies that he's in. So, you know, I, I can't really hate on that. So I would say whenever he pops up in it, it's mildly entertaining, but anytime he's not on screen, it's just really boring. So <laughs> character should be like, where's Nick Stahl? I know, I know. The movie should have just been about Nick Stahl, but unfortunately it is not. So. You know, he's like a spice. You can't have too much yeah. of it. <laughs> All right, well, that's it for this week on Bay Street Video Podcast. Wait, Mark, people can order stuff now, right? They can, you know, we can ship stuff out. I mean, we're only doing curbside pickups and shipping right now because of the Ontario restrictions, but yeah, we can ship stuff out. Just give us a call or email us and we can get stuff together with you we have pretty recent we have reasonable shipping rates uh we can ship you know worldwide so feel free to reach out to us well that's it for this week's episode and i guess until next time my name is justin i'm mark hansen keep on buying keep on renting nick stall these movies and many more are available at your local video store yeah really come on complete your nick stall collection here people